0: Good morning, everybody. Oh, you're very healthy sound. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, Very encouraging. Well, uh, I'm part of the leadership team here at uh, King's, and it's a great joy for me. You've probably already been welcomed, but it's a great joy for me to welcome you to our Easter Day meeting here in Hazelmere. There are lots of reasons why people come today. Easter Day, some of you have been invited, and, um, or by a work colleague, or a friend, or whatever, and you've come specially. And in that case, uh, thank you so much for doing that. Some of you come as a family. You know, this is Easter, this is what we do as a family, we do the Easter thing as a family. It's a special day, sometimes extended, but it's a special day, and we come. Great to have you here. And maybe one or two of you have been bribed. Well, great. And if that's the case, massive, massive thank you to you. Well, Christmas may get all the press, but Easter is what it's all about. The Easter invitation card was, this changes everything. This changes everything. One New Testament writer goes as far as to say, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. I'll leave you to decide that. And then he goes, and so is your faith. It's really, hence the wording of our invitation card. This changes everything. Easter changes everything, my friends. Just suppose for a moment, stay with me and come with me at this. You know, you receive a letter in the post from a law firm. It's very official. It's a classy envelope. It has all the appearances of a reputable law firm, as you open the envelope and start to read the letter, and the letter is is written to you personally. Not sir or madam, it's got your name, they know who you are, and you are informed that a relative that you did not know anything about has left you over a million pounds. I see some of you already spending it. I see it. I wonder how you would react. I wonder. I, I, think I, know. I, I think I know how I would react. But you know, you could well be forgiven for being somewhat skeptical because there are so many scams in our day. You could be... But, do you know, because the offer is so great, it may well be worth the investigation the resurrection is like that most people think it's a scam but the offer is so great it's worth an investigation I thought I'd just do a practical thing here so you're going to have to work out if this is a scam or not but under one of your seats and I left this to somebody else so I've not been up here under one of your seats is an envelope And inside that envelope is ten (laughs) pounds. And we're going to pause now, and we're going to look underneath our seats (laughs) and see is that my seat? And if there's a oh, (laughs) (laughs) Jill, Jill, you haven't even checked it. Yeah, it could well be a scam. Uh, Look inside look inside just I am really sorry it's not a million pounds I have to say that but it's a tenner okay that's for you I don't want that going in the offering alright that's from me to you that's happy Easter that's my gift that's fine and uh... My friend, you know, should have never found that without the investigation. That's the, that's the point. That's the point. Jesus' promises for you are so huge. Do you know a new beginning? No, it's more than that, it's a new life. No, it's even more than that. You become a new person. you 're not like the old person you 're a new person, and you have this new power of God in you that helps you be this new person and In the life to come, and the older you get, the more you realize this how wonderful this is. in the life to come you 'll get a new body, and that one will not wear out. I know that 's not just for older people too, but this one will, it won 't wear out, and you will have, the promise is you 'll have a journey of life with God who will unreservedly love you always. Never an off day. So the offer is so great, it's worth investigating. So we're going to have a look at uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 49. If you have a Bible, please turn to it. If you haven't, don't worry. The words will come up on the screen. Let me just say this about the writer Luke. He, he's a historian, and... Hence, his account, or gospel as as it's known, is full of names and places and events. And he writes it from the point of view, go on then, check it out. It's written in the time span of people who are still alive. So did Jesus really meet such and such a lady? Yes, he did. You You can check it out. You can go and see the person and they'll tell you. Do you know that happened? And did he meet this person? And did he do this? You can go to the places and the events that he did. And, they, and they can, you can check it out. That's, that, Luke does that. Sets it all out like that. So he writes about a morning and an evening and an afternoon of the first day of the resurrection. And we're coming in to the evening time. And I haven't got my glasses Are they in there? Thank you. You saw that immediately, didn't you, Rod? I saw that immediately. So, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled, frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. I want to just pick up three things. The resurrection matters rationally, the resurrection is personal, and the resurrection is merciful. It's rational. It's personal, and it's merciful. And so from that verse 37, it's rational, my friends. Look, it says, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Come on, they, cannot, they can't account for the figure in the room, other than that he is a ghost. That's, that's the only way they can work it out. They are thinking this through. Get that. They are thinking this through. Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? What I'm saying is there's a logical process going on here in their thinking. Many people think this about Christianity. Do you know what? You just decide. I just decide to be a Christian. I just decide to follow Jesus. You know, it's an an emotional reflex. That is not going on here. They are thinking. They are thinking this through, or um, here's another line that's frequently used. I heard a number of times, and that you know, people in those days, let's face it, just gullible. People in those days are gullible. C.S. Lewis is the writer of *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* and many other books. Very profound writer. He calls that viewpoint chronological snobbery. You know, back then, people believed that sort of thing. Now, you know, that's what they did. They believed. They were open to such things as people being raised from the dead. No, they weren't. They believed what everyone else believes. Dead people stay dead. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead was as inconceivable for them as it is for us. Thinking they had seen a ghost... It's a rational response. The brain is engaged. And yet, they can't get their heads around the fact that this is a real person. Therefore, the only explanation they can come up with, it's a ghost. Easter is not a nice spiritual story. Or an inspiring moral lesson. Easter is about the physical Material resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's it. Better get that. There's no sort of some spiritual, you know, ethereal line here. It's solid. And that's the constant message that were rung out from the disciples again and again. So their story is this that God has raised this Jesus from the dead, and do you know what? We were witnesses of it. And it goes on through. The Acts, Book of Acts, which is all the disciples, many of the disciples moving from place to place. And this is their storyline all the time, that God has raised this Jesus from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. If you go through the Book of Acts, you'll see it again, 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 again. Their story never wavered. They were persecuted to their deaths. If you know anything about church history, you'll know they're not the only ones either. This was their story, that Jesus was raised to life, and they weren't going to change it for anyone. Now, the response to the resurrection at this first meeting is rational. in addition, Mary Magdalene was the first eyewitness. John writes more fully about her in, uh, in his gospel, and she's the first eyewitness, as were some of the other women there, too and now this is a problem the greek philosopher celsus wrote a book attacking christianity in the 2nd century and one of his chief points was this how can here in here how can anyone expect a rational man to listen to the testimony of a hysterical woman i hasten to add these are his words not mine i want to get out of here alive And so, uh, a woman's testimony was not valid in ancient societies. And before we think we're smug and so up to date, women only were able to use their vote in 1928. So let's not think we're too clever ourselves here. And a woman's testimony was not allowed in a court of law, and it was regarded as untrustworthy. The gospel writers knew this, If they were if they were making this up, they wouldn't have put women in as the first eyewitnesses. They just wouldn't have done it. Unless it was true. And I wonder if they were tempted to airbrush the story. You know, I'm not gonna I I don't know if I want to go that way. Somebody said this. Uh, No, I'll come to that bit in a minute. Uh, one more point, let me say, about being rational. And that is this. In Jesus' time, there are a number of messianic pretenders. Now, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. So lots of people know that. And they believed the Messiah would come at the end of time, and he would roll it all up together. And he would be anointed, appointed by God, and that he would kick out the Romans, and he would unite the people of Israel together and usher in a new kingdom of God. That's what the Messiah would do. And there were a number of pretenders, such as Judas the Galilean, Simon Perea, Theodius, and others. And when each one of them died, and their followers that were left that the Romans hadn't executed, the rest of them went home. These guys didn't. That wasn't the end of their story. Their story keeps going. About this Jesus raised from the dead. Somebody said this if you don't believe in the resurrection, you have to believe that something else hit them. See you, you have to. The resurrection matters rationally, but more than that, it, it's, it's personal. It's intentionally personal. So in John's gospel, when Jesus shows himself to Mary, there's no fanfare. You know, Superman returns. Picks up an airliner. It's me, Superman. There's none of that with Jesus. He's in the garden and he just says, Mary. I thought, how lovely. Not all you. You know. No big fanfare here. I don't know what your name is. I bet he can say it just like that. Mary. It's just it's so personal. And you know, prior to this gathering here in the evening. They're on the road. Two of his followers are on the road out of Jerusalem. They're not hanging around. They're going home. The adventure is over. And Jesus joins them on the road. I love this bit. And, the, and he asks them what they're talking about. And they say to him, are you the only person in this area who doesn't know what's happened? And then they tell him about this Jesus who's done miracles and marvelous things and and, and what, what an amazing person he was and then they said we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem, redeem Israel we had hoped and later you know they go to a village and they have this meal and they, Jesus gives thanks he breaks the bread oh my goodness me it's Jesus they get it and then he's gone absolutely gone Jesus is intentionally personal. And they hot it back to Jerusalem. And this is the meeting that we come into here. That they in this room. And they meet with the other disciples. And whilst they're still talking, it says, Jesus stands among them and says, Peace be with you. I think it's probably a good start. Who's <sighs> this? I think it's a good start. They're startled, frightened. They saw him die, and now he is standing among them. He always makes the first move, my friends. You think you're looking for him? No, 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 no. He's always making the move towards you. This is what he does. First it's Mary, then it's the disciples. They're not looking for Jesus. And he comes and stands among them. And I love this bit. He says, come on, look at my hands and feet. Touch me and see. I just let my imagine roll a little bit here. So I see it look at my look at my hands and feet come on touch me and see and I, I see him just making this step forward this is just my imagination I see him making this step forward I see him making this step back whoa what's this and there's a I think I wonder if this is a sort of conversation going on unconscious conversation like well who's going to do it okay guys who's going to go on Peter, you're used to doing these things. Who's, who's going to touch him? And, and it seems that nobody is willing to touch him. Nobody's in a rush. Do you have anything here to eat? Do you have anything here to eat? This is so invitational, isn't it? Do you have anything to eat? Come on, touch me. No demand here. Anything to eat? And I wonder. And they give him a piece of broiled fish, isn't it? That's what they give him. So I wonder how that's done, and I wonder who does it. Because is it like this? So I, I want to give it to you, but I'm not really sure. And uh, you know, like feeding a crocodile, is it? Oh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a whoa! I, I wonder. Here is the most powerful person in the world who said he was the Son of God, said he would die. Raised from the dead. Validating everything he said about himself. This is Easter Sunday. Everything about the cross. Him dying for you. Why is it true? Because he raised from the dead. Hallelujah. That is the truth. And he's holding out his hands. Making the first move. I saw this picture a um, couple of months ago. Of... um, the boy is called Jacob Philadelphia, uh, it's a beautiful picture. I don't know if anybody's seen this one, but at five, uh, he's a five-year-old boy, and he meets President Obama. And um, Jacob's father says that his boy want, boys wanted to ask President Obama a question, and he, so President Obama says, "What do they want to ask?" And the dad says, "I, I don't know." And so um, he he. He says to Jacob, What's your question? What is your question? And Jacob spelt, spoke so quietly, President Obama had to ask him to repeat the question. And then he repeats the question. He goes, I want to know if my hair is just like yours. <laughs> and he bows his head, said, Why don't you see for yourself? And touch it. And Jacob hesitates. And Obama says, Touch it, dude. Touch it. And he pats his head, and the photo's taken at that moment. It's a great picture, isn't it? Great picture. And Jesus says, Touch me. My hands, my feet, come on. Come on, It's me. Jesus is always leaning towards you that is that is a story of everybody who's followed Jesus Christ they found that actually even when we're leaning away he's leaning in and leaning towards us he'll keep doing that John tells us in his gospel that the door is locked I'll tell you this I don't know how locked your doors are but he's still coming in and he's still leaning towards you such is his gift of life for you he wants that listen, locked doors are not going to keep Jesus from you the offer is personal and because it's personal we're going to listen to this uh, snapshot of Latifah she's a member of our church and she has a Muslim background and she talks about Allah and her relationship with him in this snapshot. Could we play that video, please?
1: I was born in Nigeria. I have two older sisters and um, a younger brother. So being born in a Muslim family, I wore my hijab always. I made sure I prayed at least five times a day and um, gave alms to the poor and... um, try faster than the month of Ramadan. My relationship with Hala was distant. While well, I was taught, I was made to understand that uh, we need to perform certain duties. And um, it was more of like a reward system for things. So you do something in order to be able to get something from Hala. That was that was my relationship with Allah, and so it sort of I didn't have um, any fulfillment really. I was um, I was a Muslim until 2007ish, yeah, when I was in nursing school, and then um, a few friends invited me to church. What I said the first few times, it was more of um, a battle of trying to weigh which religion was going to meet whatever whatever um own felt in me. I stopped I stopped going to church after a while, and then um later, another friend invited me to another church and that was that was um when everything changed. I got to learn about the fact that Jesus Christ is God and he came in the form of man in order to save us, in order to save me. Getting that revelation of of God wanting to be personal with me, to show his love, was the turning point, really. And that was when I became a Christian. What changed for me when I became a Christian was first the way I viewed God. Um, as a Muslim, I, I related with God more out of fear. But then, uh, as a Christian, I became more relaxed and um, loving of myself because I knew God loves me. Yeah? And uh, I stopped trying to seek validation from other people my father wasn't so happy when I became a priest then, and um, for a long time we, didn't, we did not talk about it. There was a day I actually did not go to church, and um, he, he called me to, to ask the reason why I did not, and uh, he, he told me at that point that he had observed that I was more, more open, and um, Whatever I was being taught in church was doing me a lot of good, and so I should continue. Before I left Nigeria, I was I attended the believers' class, and um, our teacher taught us of how Jesus' ministry started with baptism. The main reason why I wanted to get baptized was just to have a closer relationship with God and... Um, Strengthen my relationship with God, really, yes. Right after baptism, I, I felt so much joy within me. And um, I still carry that joy <laughs> within right now, yeah. I've become more, more attuned to the Holy Spirit. And then um, it's so much more easy to, for me to share with God about my feelings, well just communicates easier with God and then um, with other people I moved to England in December 2016 and um, it's a lot different so back home I knew to greet my elders and um, I don't look them in the face when they're talking to me and um, I don't call them by their first names well, I'm still in the process of change, but it's been good so far, um, as God has placed um, a lot of support system around for me, yeah, which I'm really grateful for.
0: The turning point for Latifah was when she realized that God was personal and that he loved her. That was the turning point. Not rules to be obeyed, but a God to be known. This is why Christianity stands so separate. It's not a path to walk on, but for a God to be known. That's so why Jesus came among us. So the resurrection is personal and it's merciful. Agatha Christie writes this novel. It's called, And Then There Were None. It was made into a TV series, mini-series over Christmas 2015. And ten people with apparently little in common are invited to a mansion on an island. And it's a story about the past catching up with them. Because they all have skeletons in the cupboard. They're all guilty of actions that they've done in the past. And one by one, justice is meted out to everyone until there were none. Now the story reflects part of human life for all of us. It doesn't have to be guilt that is glamorized to a film or to a book or anything like that. It It can be just ordinary, low-grade things we have done which we wish we never did and things that we've said, and if ever I could take those words back, and the consequences of follow that, all these things, or it's, maybe it's just a sheer, I am never, I am going to hold that against that person for the rest of my life. You know, when these things happen, we do damage to ourselves, and we do damage to others. We all need mercy. We all need it. His mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. I'm going to say that again so that you really get this. His mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. I need his mercy. I don't know about you. I guess you do too. But this week, oh, have I needed the mercy of God. And I know it will be the same next week. I will need the mercy of God. You know, we say that line, no one's perfect. We never debate it. We just know that's true. No one's perfect. Perhaps it's things we didn't do. Or things we should have said. Even our thought life can burden us with guilt. Maybe it's the way that we live our life. And this cycle. Perpetual cycle. Which we can't seem to do anything about. And we wish we could. In this room. Jesus walks in. And he never mentions Do you know what? In my hour of need, there wasn't anybody there. He never mentions it. They all did a runner on him. He never mentions it. He treats them with great dignity. And he'd treat you with great dignity. We all mess up, my friends. We all need his mercy. People often say to me, I'm not good enough to come to church. I hear that line quite often. I'm not good enough to become a Christian. I'm not good enough to come to church. I want to say come and meet all the others who are not good enough in my church. And you know, we're not asked to be good enough. Ever. We're asked to come as we are. With all that stuff. And let him do the work. This month, 41 years ago, I had this immense conflict going on in my life. And I knew that Jesus was... the solution to my chaos and I knew that he died for my sins Christ died for our sins I knew that and I wanted to spruce myself up so I would be okay for him and I realized it never works it never works don't wait don't do that you will be waiting forever it will never happen I can testify to that his mercy forgives the past and frees us for the future his mercy forgives us for the past and frees us for the future. Praise God. That's my story, my friends. I found it out 41 years ago. I never look back. Best decision I ever made.